All this December on Sundays, we're delving into the Christmas story, especially as it's told in this gospel or this biography of Jesus you'll find in the Bible called Luke. And of course, the Christmas story, at least in the Bible, is about the birth of Jesus. But it's about so much more than just the birth of Jesus because the birth of Jesus stands at the center and core of something that radiates out and starts affecting everyone else around him. And so the story of Christmas in the Bible is certainly about what God is doing in the life of Jesus and what Jesus is doing in this world, but it's also about what God is doing in the people surrounding Jesus as the story plays out. Now, this school year, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit. It's this aspect of God, this person of God, if you will, often forgotten, but so pervasive in the pages of the Bible. Who is he and what does he do? And what does it mean to have a relationship with him? And how does this all kind of work? And what you'll find is that if you read the Gospel of Luke and especially the Christmas story, man, the Spirit is everywhere. Like Luke is drunk on the Spirit. He's filled with the Spirit. He sees the Spirit everywhere and, and, and makes points to bring him out. And what we're going to do today is look at another character in the Christmas story and look at how the Holy Spirit came into this person's life and what that meant for them. Last week, we talked about John the Baptist, one of Jesus' relatives. This week, we're going to talk about another one of Jesus' relatives. We're going to look at his mom and we're going to talk about Mary. And I thought maybe what we could do to kick this off is just kind of have like a, a, a little like test your knowledge of Mary quiz, all right? We, we got like a 10-point quiz that we're going to give you just to see how well do you know Jesus' mom here and, and kind of some stuff surrounding her. So it's pretty much true-false, all right? You can score your own. And uh, here we go. Let's see how you do. Ready? Question one. Mary always wears white and blue. Okay, you got your answer? Yeah, it's kind of a trick question, actually. I'm starting you right off with a trick question because if you look in any kind of modern day, like I, I cannot, well, modern day, if you look in any kind of historic iconography of Mary, you look at the classic pictures, you look at statuary, you look at stuff like that, she is always in white and blue. Always. I dare you to find me outside of like a, a contemporary Jesus movie or something like that where she is not in white and blue. And interestingly enough, I kind of looked up at this tradition, like why, why do they always have her in blue? I mean, did she just like really like the color blue to bring out her eyes or something like that? Um, but apparently it's meant to symbolize the sky and how she's kind of like the queen of heaven, so to speak. And also it was a color of royalty in the Byzantine Empire, which is where a lot of the traditions of Mary kind of raised up. But if you put false, you're okay, because I guarantee you this, the real historical Mary did not always wear blue. Now, I didn't go back in a time machine, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. Would you agree? Yes. All right, here's number two. The giant stained glass window in the chapel at Concordia Mequon used to be the Virgin Mary. But when the LCMS bought it from a Catholic convent, they popped the head off and replaced it with Jesus. Yeah, that's so true. That is absolutely true. All right, isn't that weird? So 
within um, our denomination, the Lutheran Church, there are these colleges, these undergraduate institutions called Concordia. And one is up in, Mil in Mequon, Wisconsin, which is just north of Milwaukee. And they have this big, beautiful chapel, but it used to be a convent, like for nuns, for like actual real nuns. And when the convent either went under or the numbers couldn't hold anymore, the Lutheran church bought it, turned it into an academic institution. But you know, Protestants traditionally have not been too down with Mary, right? And so we got this like big blazing, like 40 foot stained glass window of Mary like this. And stained glass is expensive. I mean like uber expensive. So literally, I kid you not, they popped out four panes of glass. They found some Jesus. The long hair of Mary kind of worked with the whole thing. And now it's Jesus all dressed in blue with these little feminine feet and this like weird figure. And it's, it's like, it's the strangest thing. Yeah, that's, that's true. Question three. Steve Wells' favorite Christmas carol is Mary, Did You Know? Okay, now Steve isn't here today. But I'm going to let you in something. He loves it. He loves this carol but beyond what you would ever imagine, but he's afraid to sing it. And here's where I need your help. Okay, Steve's email address is swells. <laughs> no, no, don't laugh yet. People got to hear it. Swells or swells at fellowshipoffaith.org. Now, don't do it all at once. You got to stagger this over 36 hours, all right? Sometime in the next 36 hours, you need to send an email to Steve and just go, Steve, man, you are a blessing to this church. And when you sing, my innards melt, okay? <laughs> and to hear you sing, Mary, did you know, would bring me so close to Jesus. It would just be like a spiritual epiphany. The Lord would touch my life and the life of those around me in ways that people would call it a revival. And if you really want to make his day, say, could you do the, Mary, the, the Mariah Carey arrangement, please? <laughs> all right? Can, can you do this for me? No, don't tell Steve. This is between you and me. We've got to keep it a secret here, all right? This is between you and me. Okay? You got it? You got it? By the way, did any of you answer actually true on that? Yeah, I oh, know you are so wrong. You are so wrong. <laughs> Number four. The angel Gabriel came to Mary to tell her she'd bear a son in her old age. It's false. The angel Gabriel did come to her to tell her she'd bear a son, but the angel Gabriel also came to her relative Elizabeth to tell her that she would also bear a son, and she was the old one, not Mary. Mary was probably 13, 14, maybe at most 16 years old. All right, here's number five. Mary's actual given name is Mary. Her real name is Mary. That's what I'm saying here. Now you feel like you're being set up, right? Yeah, and, and what do we do when we feel like we're being set up? We trust our instinct. Unless you think that the person who's setting you up is just messing with you, right? And then you double back. No, her name isn't actually Mary. Just like Jesus' name isn't actually Jesus and James' name isn't actually James and Solomon's name isn't actually Solomon and all these Anglicized versions of the names that we have today are not their name. Her name is actually Miriam. And if you were to read it in the Greek text in the New Testament, it would come across as Miriam, a good Hebrew name, named after Moses' sister. 
if you know some of the history behind it. Her real name is Miriam. Jesus' real name is Joshua or Yeshua. James is really Jacob, things like that. All right, how are you doing so far? You getting slaughtered on this? A few more. Number six, Mary was a lifelong virgin. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's so absurd. How could you even think, right? I mean, all right. You know, it's interesting. It depends who you ask. Because in the Roman Catholic tradition, they put a lot of stock and a lot of theological weight in the idea that Mary was a lifelong virgin. But that's never really been a biblical understanding. That understanding of Mary being a lifelong virgin doesn't come from the biblical text. It comes more from tradition and and certain theological trajectories based upon it. It would seem that Mary had many more children after Jesus. Um, And you could even see some of their names in the Bible. Mark chapter 6, we'll talk about four of Jesus' brothers. Um, uh, seemingly um, born to Mary and not like stepchildren inherited or something like that. Um, likewise, in the Christmas story in Matthew, it says she had no union with her um, husband Joseph until the time that Jesus was born, which could arguably imply that she had a normal, healthy sexual relationship with her husband and kids and siblings and things like that afterwards. All right, let's keep going. Number seven, Catholics worship Mary and pray to Mary. Well, whatever they do at popular practice, they shouldn't because Catholic theology says we don't worship Mary or pray to Mary. And so your Catholic relatives who go, oh yeah, we pray to Mary, don't know what they're talking about. Just like most people who attend a church don't know what they're talking about. They know a little bit and they follow the crowd, right? And that's okay. That's an indictment on a lot, right? No, they don't pray to Mary. They don't worship Mary official Catholic teaching, which is the most extreme version within Christianity, is they venerate Mary, which is they hold her in high respect. And even if you think of the most Catholic, quote, prayer to Mary, it's not praying to Mary at all. It goes like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and in the hour of our death. Those of you who grew up Catholic, you know it well, right? It's called the Hail Mary. Well, when you hail a cab, are you praying to the cab? What does it mean to hail Mary? It's, you know, hey you, Mary. Mary, and then what do you ask her to do? Pray for us. So actually in Catholic theology, they're not praying to Mary at all. They're asking Mary to pray for them. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever asked someone to pray for you? Well, all right, there you go. And that's how, at most, it was always meant to be understood. Okay, let's keep going. Mary never sinned. True or false? Mary never sinned. Yeah, false. She sinned all over the place. Not that they got like a record or anything here, but she was a sinner just like you and me. Number nine, Mary was at Jesus' crucifixion. That's true. She had to see her son die, something a parent should never have to witness, and especially a crucifixion. The Gospels record her being there, being a part of taking her son down, laying him in the tomb. And number 10, Mary is the mother of God. 
the answer from all Christian history and tradition of every denomination, of every stripe, of every persuasion is true. It was actually a big deal in the early church. They wrestled with this a lot. How is Jesus, both God and human, at the same time? And what are the implications of this? And what does that even mean for Mary? I mean, did Mary just give birth to Jesus? Well, she certainly gave birth to Jesus. But does that also make her the mother of God? And if Jesus is fully God, the answer that these early Christians who sweat and bled and struggled and wrestled through the texts in prayer over these kinds of questions ultimately came down on that's been universally held to be true ever since is that yes, Mary is in fact and can be called rightfully not just the mother of Jesus, not just the mother of the Christ, but the mother of God himself. Pretty cool, isn't it? How'd you do? Anyone score all 10? Anyone get at least a C, 70%? All right. Any of you like, like this was so bad? This was like flashback. It's like I'm, I'm the 30 to 50% range. Any of you here too cool to take the quiz and you just kind of like stood around and went, yeah, see, I don't have to do what he tells me. <laughs> Wherever you landed on this, I've got really good news for you this morning. Christ's righteousness is more than enough for you no matter how bad you did and how little you know about his mom. He still loves you and is still forgiven your sins even if you don't know his mom at all. All right? So take heart in that. But you know, Mary, who's so pivotal to the Christmas story, you know, so much of what people talk about regarding her and, 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 and things like that, it's, it's really often based more in like tradition and myth and even theologizing than it is the actual story of the Bible and biblical fact itself. So I thought maybe what we could do this morning is just see what the Bible has to say about this amazing young woman who is chosen in such a special, crazy kind of way. And you can find the story in Luke chapter 1. If you want to follow along or read it on your own, it picks up at verse 26. But let me just read it to you here today. This is what it says. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was in Greek, Miriam. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will be with child and will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? But the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. People make the mistake of thinking that the Bible in its basic message, that Christianity in its basic teaching, that God in his basic position towards humanity is all about being good enough or all about doing enough so that God might show some kind of favor or grace to you or give you some kind of blessing. But that's not Christianity at all. That's not the Bible at all. And that is not God's inclination in way with humanity at all. Christianity is not about being good enough or doing enough to somehow garner God's attention or gain his favor. Christianity, the message of the Bible, and the disposition of God towards people is all about what God does for you. And what I love in the Christmas story is how clearly you see this with Mary. Because what it says is that God came upon her. Let me highlight out that one little section. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And because of that, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I love this because it's not because Mary was somehow special in her own right, that Mary didn't somehow impress God, that Mary was not so holy of her own right that it would just be natural that God would choose her or that her offspring would naturally be holy as well. No, you don't see any of that. You simply see this. God chose Mary. God chose Mary. Why is she so highly favored? Why is she blessed? Why is the Lord with her? Now, the narrative doesn't actually answer those questions specifically, but I will tell you this, that the biblical trajectory from top to bottom is all about God simply choosing who he wants to bless, who he wants to work through and how he chooses to do it, regardless of how good or bad they might be, righteous or unrighteous they happen to be, how close to him or far from him they might be. And in fact, what you see is that God often even chooses the least of these. I love this one passage. It comes out of Titus in the New Testament where it says this, God saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that God pours himself out generously. He blesses you just because he's a God who likes to bless. He gives to you because he's a God who delights in giving. And he draws close to you because God loves you. Independent and apart from the quality and character of who you might be, there's nothing you can do to deserve God's spirit in you. There is nothing you can do to get God to choose you, select you. There is nothing you can do to get his salvation or his righteousness. You can spend the course of your entire life trying to be righteous before God and it will get you maybe at most a half a degree. God is big. God is vast. God is holy. God is righteous in ways that we can never even begin to imagine. And compared to God, we can never be righteous or holy like that. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Which of us can claim to intrinsically have or the ability to even merit or, or gain the glory of God? None of us. It's all God. The message of the Bible, the message of the Christianity, the message of Christmas is God coming down and blessing his people, pouring out his spirit generously. The spirit was poured upon Mary. Poured upon Mary, not out of her goodness and grace, but out of God's goodness and grace, simply selecting her. And as I said a moment ago, and what you'll see with God is that even more, he often chooses the lowest. I mean, who was this girl? Some unknown peasant born to a family with no sense of power or prominence. And even though maybe there's some boasted family name, nothing certainly to set them apart, Is anyone different? Who was she? Some 13, 14, maybe 15 or 16-year-old girl at most. Is there anyone more unprepared to be a mom? Let alone a mom of the one who will be king over Israel and savior of the world. And more, an unwed mom A girl, think about it, some 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade girl to correspond to maybe life today who finds herself pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit with a story for her pregnancy that no one would ever believe. No, God chooses the lowest, the least, the most forgotten the most ostracized. You see this through the pages of the Bible from beginning to end. From Abel to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. All the way through the biblical narrative up to Mary and Jesus himself. And you, what about you? God chose you Brothers, sisters, think about 
who you were when God called you. I love this passage from the Bible where it says God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him saying this is of my own effort, my own strength, my own doing. Look at me. No, none of that. No, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. And it's because of him that Mary was chosen for one of the greatest privileges of all. It is because of him who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. It's all because of him. Anything you have before God, anything you have of goodness within you, it is fundamentally a gift of him. That is the message of the Bible. That's the message of Christianity. That's the message of the Christmas story. That's the prophetic call of God that he's desperately pouring out on a world that has difficulty hearing and believing that how can something of that nature actually be true? And that's the question I want to ask to you today. What happens? What happens when, some, when, when God does something that is beyond ability or belief in your life? God did something for Mary. God did something for Mary beyond her ability or belief. And I'll tell you this, God will do the exact same thing for you. No, you might not get mysteriously pregnant by the Holy Spirit and bear the Son of God. Good news for us guys, especially. No, he might not do that, but God will do the same thing. God will pour his spirit on you. He'll pour his spirit on you, and he'll choose you. And he'll choose to do something in you that is beyond your ability and belief. How will you respond? When God chooses you for something beyond How will you respond? I love how Mary responds. She, uh, she busts rhymes. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In a, in a place of faith, maybe resignation, acceptance of the inevitable, or anything in between. Nonetheless, she turns towards God and she says, okay, I'm your servant. Do with me as you will. 
Do with me as you will. When God chooses you for something beyond your ability and belief, will you respond the same way? Do with me as you will. I wonder if Mary wanted to do it. I wonder if it brought her more heartache than blessing. I wonder at times if she felt like it was more trouble than it was worth. I wonder what it cost her because God had chosen her from not only the physicality of bearing this child, but raising him, knowing he was going to die and witnessing it. To hearing the insults and the accusations and the snickerings first directed at her and probably following her through the course of her life. And then at her boy. And then stringing him up in the end. Make no mistake, God will choose you for something beyond your ability and belief as well. And when he does, what will your response be? I think we can learn from Mary. Simply say, God, okay, you've chosen me. So here I am, your servant, your slave. I belong to you. So may it be as you have said. But immediately after that, she starts busting in to rhyme. Look at what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Not too bad. Would you agree for kind of a spontaneous flow of the heart? What does she do? She busts into worship. She busts into prayer. She busts into praising God, drawing on what she knows. Quotes from the Psalms, which she'd been learning, as any young Jewish girl would be. Drawing on her worship life, the songs that her worship community would sing, making them her own, because that's what worship really is. It's spontaneous expressions of the heart to God. It's a disposition of the heart that just gives to God the sense of gratitude, the sense of fear, the sense of humbleness, the sense of thankfulness, a sense of joy, saying you are good and you have chosen me and this is what you're like. And even when it's based from things that are crafted, prayers that have been memorized from many years ago, songs that have been sung week after week in the worship community, Worship is taking those and making them your own and offering them up to God. And so the band's going to come forward. 
And I thought maybe that could be somewhat of our response today. Here's what that same prayer looks like, but more kind of by stanza, if you will. Prayer form, you know what I mean? You can actually like see the lines. What kind of response is your heart crafting towards what God is doing in you beyond your ability in belief? What I'd like you to do right now is maybe use Mary's words as a springboard to your own. In your seat, tell God what you need and want to tell him. Today, respond to him. Maybe for his goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, the work that he's doing in your life for the life of someone you love. Maybe for what he has done in the past. Maybe for the very nature of who he is. I don't know, but you do. Don't hold it in. Tell him. Respond. Let these words give guidance to your words. And that response today. So you can play behind this just a little bit if you want. And as they do, well, invite you to pray. And after a while, we'll come up for air. We'll say this together. Then we'll commune and sing and respond and offer our own hearts in that same act of faith. So here we go. I feel like this will pray better. Standing before God on our feet, giving it to him. I'm going to invite you to rise. 
My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Your mercy extends to those who fear you from generation to generation. You perform mighty deeds with your arm. You scatter those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You bring down rulers from their thrones, but lift up the humble. You fill the hungry with good things, but send the rich away empty. You helped your servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as you said to our fathers. Greetings. You who are favored by God, the Lord is with you. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup after supper. He gave thanks. He gave it to them and said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Come and do this in remembrance of me. His grace for you. His goodness for you. His presence for you. Undeserved. And he invites you to respond today.